Bibles to Leviticus chapter 18. It's been a couple weeks, so let me just place us where we are. 1 through 16 is the beginning, the first part talking about how we have been delivered to serve the Lord. And now 17 through the end talks about how we're to be devoted to his service. And 17 is a hinge passage which starts, still talks about sacrifice, but moves into everyday life, saying that God is just not satisfied with our moments of worship in the sanctuary, but it must flow out into everyday life. And then 18 to 20 are talking about the, the ways that we are to hate what God hates and love what he loves. Uh, mostly the negatives are in 18 and 20. Uh, 18 often focuses more on the family. That's why you see all these commands in 18 about various relationships that are inappropriate that would have affected the family. And then 20 is more about the community. That's why there's punishments for sin and that it would be executed by the community in that context. And then in the middle, although it's not exclusively positive commands, 19 much more focuses on how we love what God loves, obey his laws, love our neighbors. So we are going to read two passages. And I'm going to start by reading again 18 verses 1 to 5 for context. This is God's word. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Reading verse 21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. Moving to chapter 20, reading the first five verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who give any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech, And does not put him to death. And I will set my face against the man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him and whoring after Moloch. Please pray with me. Father, again, as we are confronted by your word, which was given so long ago, but still applies to us very clearly today. Would you show us the deadly danger of idolatry in all of its forms? That we run from it and come to our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is, again, I can say this often in Leviticus, perhaps the only sermon that you'll ever hear on child sacrifice. And you think, well, we would never do that today, would we? Would we? There was an article in the Washington Post almost 10 years ago, in 2016, titled, How to Break Free from monogamy without destroying marriage. Wouldn't recommend this as a guide to live by. Um, Plenty of responses to this. In in one blog post, someone countered with this story told by author Jane Allison. It's her own memoir. Quote, recounting her story, 
It begins when she was four years old, her sister seven, and living in Australia where their father was stationed. He was in the diplomatic corps and was in his home country, but this family traveled because of his job. While there, an American couple with almost the exact same family structure moved to Canberra, that's a city in Australia, and the two couples began an intense friendship. One husband and wife decided they preferred each other. So the two couples swapped, married, and moved on. Now, the author details in her memoirs how devastating this was in her adult life. The girl who belonged to the other set of parents fared even worse, continuing the quote. Her counterpart, nearly the same age, never managed to overcome the pain of losing her father and her family and died of an overdose in her 30s. What comes across through this book is the collateral damage four extremely self-centered adults managed to inflict on their children. The story shows what happens when people disregard God's good commands and instead embrace their own idolatry, in this case, the idolatry of self-fulfillment. Tonight, as we examine God's will for our own lives, he calls you to examine your own lives and and flee from idolatry. And here's the truth that we will examine tonight. Flee Flee idolatry because it dishonors God and destroys his world. Flee idolatry because it dishonors God and destroys his world. And so flee idolatry. What is idolatry, kids? What is an idol? Well, the most basic example of idolatry is to worship a a false god instead of a true god. But our hearts can be more sneaky than bowing down to an idol or fake gods. Kids, are you ever sneaky? Um, I I hope you obey your parents most of the time. But I remember times when I tried to get things past my parents. I was sneaky about it. And our hearts can do that sometimes without us even realizing it. And idolatry means to love something created, a person or a thing or, or a goal, more than God who is your creator. It could be your parents, kids. Adults, it could be your job or a person you love. It could be your passion, music, sports, whatever. But you turn, as someone said, a good thing into a God thing. And so here is a very specific command against idolatry. And it's simple and clear. But I think it's, it would be helpful to explain it some more. And give some of the background. Both chapters 18 and 20 are very clearly prohibit giving your child to Moloch. That's what it says. Now, this is almost certainly child sacrifice. If you go to 1821, notice that it uses a different word for sacrifice. It says the ESV says you shall not give any of your children to offer them. And there's a little footnote Hebrew to make them pass through implied the fire. Now, we've explored in detail, if you've been with me through Leviticus, many different offerings with technical names in the beginning that people are to give to God. Proper offerings. There's the burnt offering. There's, there's the, the gift offering or the tribute offering. There's the, there's the fellowship offering. There's the sin offering. There's the gift offering. All these have technical Hebrew names. And they all use a, a verb, either karev, you approach God with your gift, or a special way for burn Guitar to, to turn it to smoke. It's the consecration, the incense goes up to the Lord in a pleasing aroma. Very different verb here used. Simply pass through, implied the fire, as if God is saying, I do not want you in any way to even confuse it with these legitimate offerings that I've given to you over here. This is completely off limits. Give to Moloch. We don't know exactly, don't know a whole lot about 
Moloch, it was most likely a Canaanite god of the dead, might also have been called Melchart or Malik. Uh, we hear about Moloch a few times. Listen to this in 1 Kings 11.7. This is talking about Solomon as he is falling away from the Lord. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. So this is, this is a god that the people of Canaanite, Canaan worshipped, and at some points they would offer their children as sacrifices to their gods. Most, most likely, most certainly, a, a vow offering. In other words, they say to this false god, if, you, if I give you something special, you will return, bless me. You actually see something like this happening in 2 Kings 3, where Ahab and Jehoshaphat um, attack Mesha. Now, he's Moabite, so it wouldn't be Molech, but, but the Lord has granted them uh, a, a victory, and so they're winning. In order to stem the tide, the, the king actually takes his oldest son and offers a sacrifice. It's a very, very unusual passage. It says, wrath comes upon Israel, and they withdraw. But there you see a, a pagan king trying to manipulate the way things go through sacrifice. Now, you would say, well, how... How could any parent do this? Well, there's three possible reasons. First of all, back in that time, child mortality was very high. Parents loved their children but did not attach them to them like we do. In utero, we know what, what the gender is, and we're, we're getting things ready, and we're, we're getting the car seat. It wasn't until a year or two in the child survived that they might have a name, and the parents started to bond with them. Theologically, um, Human life was considered much less valuable. You know the stories of the, the gods created the humans because the lesser gods didn't like doing all the work and so they needed slaves. And so outside of the Bible, there was a much lower view of human life. In fact, many cultures, most cultures did not in the ancient times sacrifice their children, but many exposed unwanted infants, especially girls, to die. That's, that's why Ezekiel can actually use the picture of Elizabeth, Elizabeth sorry, my dear, as, as Israel, I told her about this story, which is why I went there, um, as, as Israel kicking and screaming by the side of the road as this abandoned girl that Yahweh takes and rescues and raises. Life was cheap. And then, and then there's just this pragmatic thing. If you believe in a paganistic world, if sacrifice brings success, and if you have ten children and half of them are to die, well, if I give my first one and more of them survive, that's a net positive for me and my family. Now, this is still very twisted, but you might see how a human heart could rationalize how you might do this. Child sacrifice was practiced in, in Canaan. Now, um, we don't have any archaeological evidence there. It's just, it's just limited what we can see. But we do see evidence in Carthage, which was settled by the Phoenicians who came from Canaan. And they will actually, the archaeologists have uncovered these large burial sites with obvious remains of these sacrifices. And the writings in the ancient world identify these places as a tophet. That's the place where they're at. And they talk about these mulk sacrifices. Mulk, the consonants for molek. Um... This was the custom of the land. And the Lord categorically tells Israel, do not do this. Clearly, it was going to be a temptation or he wouldn't have commanded it. And in fact, it becomes a reality under some of the most wicked kings of Judah. I'm, I'm not going to take you there, but I'm just, you can, if you want to write down, if you're taking notes, you can look at 2 Kings 16, 21, and 23. And you'll see how King Ahaz talks about the same verb, causes his sons to pass through the fire, how it's evil. It talks about how wicked King Manasseh did the same thing. And then how King Josiah 
destroyed these places. And in fact, it says he defiled the Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. So there's that, that name for Tophet. Same words, passed through the fire. And the, the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah strongly denounced these sacrifices as they look back after God's period, people have experienced judgment and exile. And so the Lord gives this categorical command, you, you shun this. Both chapters uh, 20 and 18 say you, you are not to allow it. 20 says it is so terrible that you must stamp it out. If anyone does it, there's a physical punishment, death, stoning by the community. It's a severe punishment. And there's also a spiritual death. The Lord will cut them off. And, and by the way, you're not to allow anyone in any way to aid or be an accomplice in this. So, say, well, why are we talking about this? I, I have not offered my children to Moloch. Well, first realize how easy it is to conform to the world around you. It is very easy for the pressures of the world to, to press you into its mold. And the Lord gave this commandment because he knew his people would be tempted to become like the culture around them. Do, do not take for granted that, that constant crushing, grinding pressure that can, the world can exert on your flesh to draw you away from your Lord into idolatry. Right? This, this can happen today just as it did back then in maybe different ways. Just think about even children, some, some of the subtle ways. It's, it's easy to pick up the materialism of this world and then pass it on, that idea, onto your children. That what to live for is stuff. We'll talk a little bit later, the most brazen ways, perhaps, trans movement, damaging children, and the parents are not protecting but championing this. Now, the rest of the sermon will use this graphic example of, of a command to avoid to show just how bad idolatry is and why we are to flee it. So what's the main reason? What's the, 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 the number one reason why God says you are to flee idolatry? Well, few people would argue that kill, killing newborn babies is a good thing, right? It seems something so horrific that we don't even have to talk about it. People like Peter Singer aside, who now says infanticide is, is an okay thing. No, most people today on the street would say killing babies is bad. Praise God. And yet that is not the main reason the Lord forbids child sacrifice. We'll get there. But there's a deeper reason. It's his own honor. Right? The deepest, most pressing reason to flee idolatry is because it dishonors the Lord. It, it takes the glory that rightly belongs to the king and creator of the whole world and makes a mockery of it. And this command shows three ways the Lord, as he's commanding his people, why you are to avoid idolatry because of his honor. The first reason is that it pollutes his sanctuary. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, I myself will set my face against that man who does these things and will cut him off from his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean. The whole purpose of the Leviticus is to bring God's people back into his presence. And the barrier was Israel's sin, which makes God's presence a holy danger rather than a blessing. Right? Remember, even unintentional sins like Nadab and Abihu's unauthorized fire polluted the sanctuary and brought death. How much more a heinous sacrifice offered to a false god. It pollutes the very sanctuary where God is to meet with his people. And applying it to us as Christians. Jesus died to make you clean. 
Embracing the idols in your life rather than doing battle with them by the Spirit is, is to live contrary to the reality of that new life being cleansed in, in Christ. And so, see how it, it pollutes the sanctuary, first of all. Second of all, it prostitutes his people. Chapter 20, verse 5. Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Strong words, but it's saying those who commit this act give themselves into spiritual idolatrous relationships, adulterous relationships with Molech. The picture of God and salvation is redeeming his people to be his bride, being totally devoted to him. God's saying to love me and to obey me. But, but instead of Israel giving your best to me, who delivered you out of Egypt, the Lord's saying you're, you're a child sacrifice to Molech takes one of the greatest blessings I've given you and, and destroys it while professing love to a false god. That's spiritual adultery, uh, adultery at its worst. Of course, every act you commit is, in one sense, an act of sacrifice, and you could even argue an act of worship. A sacrifice can be good or bad. We all sacrifice. You all give up something for something else every day of your life. This is Think about your time and your money and your passions and how you spend it. Think about, young people, what it's going to take for you to become what you want. In, in vocation, simply, you know, you don't wake up one day in your 30s after hanging out in your parents' basement and say, you know, I feel like being a doctor today. It doesn't work that right. It takes it takes years of schooling, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, of, of testings and, and, and trials. And of course, being a doctor can be a good thing. But the point is, is when you invest in one thing, when you sacrifice in one thing, by definition, you exclude a whole range of other possibilities. Sacrifices are exclusive. Some are noble, to use an older word. Some are base. Some are unworthy. Psalm 115 says those, those sacrifices will change you. You become like what you worship. Now, there's obvious modern idols to avoid because they will destroy you. Substance abuse, pornography, very clear, obvious idols. But there's another spiritual danger. Even good sacrifices can become idols when you give themselves yourself to them, not because you love your God, but because the thing has become your God. And the Lord is very clear. Your highest goal is to honor him. And so not just your worship, but the way you pursue your work, the way you live your, pursue your relationships, the way you use your assets, even your free time are to be done as a, a redeemed creature enjoying the world your God has made. And on the other hand, when a sacrifice becomes your God, then it's spiritual adultery. You, you're dethroning the Lord who bought you and giving your love to something unworthy. You are prostituting yourself. Last of all, it says it profanes his name. 20 verse 3 again, also, he says, not only does it make my sanctuary unclean, but it profanes my holy name. Now kids, what does profane mean? You might have heard the word profanity, right? It, it prof- to profane means to treat something that is good or holy and to make it common. To drag what is good and glorious to the gutter. To rob God of his worship and his glory. To speak poorly of God. And we do this by our actions. When you see a pastor who grows incredibly rich at the expense of his congregation. You see these pastors flying around in their own jets. He is not making his treasure on heaven, but on earth. When you see a self-proclaimed Christian who is flagrantly rude, it speaks poorly of God. Don't, don't you love the people who slap the fish bumper sticker on their car and then drive like a maniac 
Right? You know, as, as the fish cuts you off and you feel, I just feel so blessed by that, brother. Thank you. Please continue that encouragement. No, you are not honoring God. And when you serve idols, you diminish the glory of God. And often this makes its way into the public sphere. Now, Christian, I want you to think about this. The Lord has given you his name. Not only are you justified and sanctified in your union to Christ and all of that glory, he has adopted you. He has brought you into the family name. He has given you the privilege of crying, Abba, Father. And you bear the name Christian. He has given you the high privilege of representing his honor. And when you give your life to idols, you dishonor the name of your Lord to the watching world. And they're quick to point it out. I can't help but think of my, my grandfather right now. And his funeral was a week from Friday and past. And um, several of his sons mentioned in the memorializing that there would be times when they wouldn't be acting appropriately and their father would pull them aside and say, son, you don't act that way. And I'll tell you why. First of all, you are a Morrison. And Morrisons don't act that way. Second of all, you are a Christian. So you do not dare profane in the name of the Lord your God. And so you must flee idolatry because it, it pollutes his sanctuary, it prostitutes his people, it profanes his name. And this means that as Christians, we ask a very different question when it comes to our conduct. The dominant question today used to determine right and wrong is this. But you could say, does it hurt anybody? And if not, it's okay. Now, this is just a repackaged form of paganism, right? The wicked read, harm none, and do as you will. And many people would say on this basis that much of what we have covered in these chapters, that the Lord hates the sexual perversions listed, the idolatry, the witchcraft, they're fine because, after all, they don't hurt anyone, do they? Now, idolatry is far more than a sexual perversion, but there's a reason why these chapters in Leviticus focus on idolatry and sexual deviation. They go together. The Christian asks a far different question. Not does this hurt anyone, but will my actions bring honor or dishonor to my Lord? 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 6, 19, 20, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The question to answer about holiness first is not, does this hurt anyone? Not that it's not important. It is. But far deeper still, how does this affect my relationship with my God? And so flee idolatry because it dishonors your, your Lord. But then we can also say there is another reason. Because when you forsake God, it does destroy his world and the people in it too. It causes incredible damage. Now this is obvious in the case of child sacrifice. But let us just pick this apart and see how idolatry like this destroys the Lord's world. First of all, it goes against the Lord's plan for creation. It is the anti-creation mandate. You know Genesis 1, 27, 28, where it says God made man and woman as image bearers. And one of the ways that men and women are to fulfill his, his command is to be fruitful and multiply in the covenant of marriage. And, and instead of doing this and, and multiplying image bearers to worship the Lord, child sacrifice destroys people made in the image of God. It's the exact opposite. 
This goes against God's plan for redemption. As God calls Abraham, he's making a new people out of the nations. He's, he's come calling them out of the chaos that comes from Babel and the rebellion. He says in Genesis 12, 2, now the Lord said, uh, he said, 1 and 2, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Right after the fall, the Lord's desire for his redeemed people is to raise up godly people who will, will be a blind line of blessing for the Messiah and, and, and for the whole world. Instead, you have this satanic attack, just as Pharaoh ordered all of the young Israelite infants to be put to death because they were multiplying, uh, the, the young infant boys, and Herod for the young boys to be put to death in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus to preserve his kingship. So this, too, actively destroys the plan of God. It is anti-blessing. The Lord desires to work blessing through the family. In his good plan, parents bear and care for children, and in turn, children become adults and care for their parents, and these children also grow up and produce new households that overflow in blessing to the church and the community. It's a, it's a beautiful cycle of sacrificial blessing. To go back to Grandpa Ross again, uh, at his funeral, all six of his children got up and tearfully spoke about the way his sacrifice, his patience, and his faithfulness forever changed their lives. And this is the design of parents bearing, nurturing, caring, and sending off. Clearly, this is the opposite. It's destroyed with this idolatry. And now while we need to be clear that on a, on a horizontal level towards other people, not all idolatry is not equally destructive. It always ends up damaging and destroying God's world. This is what idolatry does. As one commentator says in this passage, to yield to selfish and destructive passions is idolatrous. It exemplifies the worship of, of one's own desires, which subverts the family, diminishes the community, and violates God's creational designs in the ways that are just as condemnable as bowing down before another God. Now, since our passage talks about children, let's examine the way children today are hurt by idolatry. In fact, our society, which claims to do no harm, actually does a great deal of harm to our children, often celebrating it as enlightened progress. And of course, you can't help think but about the many ways our society advocates for abortion. Scripture is clear that unborn children are made in the image of God and worthy of life and protection. And yet those who, who would call themselves supporting pro-choice have, have gone from saying that abortion is regrettable, you've heard that, safe, legal, and rare, still not a biblical position, Abortion may only be possible in the case of the life of the mother truly threatened. And even then, there's some hard conversations and prayer to have. But it's gone from at least saying it's regrettable to this is basically the sacrament of modern feminism. It's the modern right of reproductive health for the mother to be able to kill her young. Now, we need to be careful. Not all feminists speak this way. Do not paint everyone with the same brush. But there is a brand of feminism that is brutally honest about this. It would actually say abortion is necessary for women's rights. One, one woman said, you cannot separate women's rights from their right to fertility control. You must be prepared to kill. What else is this but child sacrifice? And how you see how this goes against the Lord's plan for creation, redemption, and blessing. It turns the mother and the father from a nurturer to a predator. Now, we could show other ways that children are hurt, perhaps not killed, or perhaps they are. The story of the woman who finally took her life because her parents decided they preferred someone else in the beginning is a chilling reminder how self-centered 
the, how self-centered the gospel of the sexual revolution really is. You can go on for hours how divorce, and especially the lack of fathers, harms children in countless ways. And then our culture harms children uh, by worshiping them instead of raising them. I remember when Sammy was born, there was a pamphlet about how spanking promotes violence and is to be avoided. Now, of course, there are ways that you can spank that are sinful. But do you know what promotes violence in young children, especially young men? Removing fathers from their house. Telling them that they are the pinnacle of evolution. That the world revolves around them. That they define themselves and never telling them no. That's how you ruin a child. Now, this may be all outside our church, and so it's easy perhaps even to, to, to fall into the air of self-righteousness here. Well, that's out there. But there are ways that the church has damaged children. And I'm not saying this is, applies directly to our church or even to our denomination in, in every circumstance, but at times we as the Christian church in America have been guilty of minimizing and hiding the sin of sexual abuse, and the victims are most likely children. And churches, especially in times past, have swept these grave sins under the rug, saying, well, if this becomes public, the honor of God will be tainted. No. The proper response is that the glory of God is already tainted, and the way that he receives glory is to expose these sins, exercise church discipline, call for repentance, accepting the consequence, and above all, caring for the child. That is what brings God glory. This passage is very clear. You don't harm children. You certainly don't allow anyone else to. Well, this command is just one small window into the way that the damage idolatry can wreak in the world. And so we're to flee idolatry also because it destroys God's world. He is rightly angry when, when you destroy his creation, especially when you attack the oppre- and oppress the vulnerable and the weak. Instead, we instead we as a church should create a culture of life to the glory of God. We'll be talking about this more in the coming sermons. Really, the application of, of loving your neighbors, of obedience that produces fruit. But let's just say, what, what does this look like in, in, the, in the realm of, of children? What's the opposite of child sacrifice? Well, we do preach the truth that children have dignity and, and, and rights and are to be valued at all ages. But then we need, as a church need to be a welcoming community that children know that they are welcome they are part of the community. We need to take steps to make sure that they are truly nurtured and protected, that they are safe. And I'm not talking about the safe spaces where kids are coddled, but to know that they are given room to grow and to, to mature here. It means that if, if you are the age and you're married and God's given the ability, you bear children as the Lord allows you and fulfill that part of your mandate. It means adults discipling your own children and your grandchildren or others around you. It's a call for, when possible, radical hospitality for Christians to pursue foster care and adoption, or, or that's not possible for you, or you're older, helping other families who commit to this. Or perhaps adopting a younger brother and sister in a single family where they don't have that parent. Now, the difference is stark, what God calls us to. Instead of a society that engage, encourages parents to abort their children as is their right, or, or to indoctrinate them in this secular culture of self-centered nihilism, we ought to be welcoming, loving, giving at great costs to ourselves and our communities. Remember how I talked about how even ancient cultures that didn't sacrifice their children would often expose them, especially girls. One of my favorite stories, I've told it before and tell it again, 
about the early church, especially in the urban areas, is that they would take those girls at great cost to themselves and, and save them from death from wild animals or exposure or, or the brothels. And at a time when, when housing and food was, was limited, they would bring them in and raise them. And even though the Christians were persecuted, how do, how do you fight an enemy like that? That's why the way of also the early church was about two-thirds female. One of the reasons. But how do you fight an enemy who gives like that? How does that look like? What does that look like for us today? Well, as we close, where do we get this power? Just for starters, parents who, who love and accept their, their children. And children who, in turn, grow up and care for their parents and, and who open up their home to, to, to more children. The reason why even this basic thing isn't happening anymore is because it requires sinful people to sacrifice for others. This, is, this, this idea of nurturing and life is the exact opposite of the self-idolatry where the weak are forced to sacrifice for the benefit of the strong. That's what we see often today. Instead, a culture that honors life and the Lord, the strong sacrifices for the weak. And this does not happen by accident. Kids, when you go home to your parents and and your parents, they they love you at home and and they're patient with you and and kind with you. I'm sure sure no no parents are perfect, but when when you're in that environment, how does that happen? How how, how do you have parents who won't ever leave you? Our kids from time to time will talk about divorce, especially since I was so close to death and tell Sammy, you know, divorce is like a dad's dying, except it's, except it's worse because he leaves you, but he's still alive. I said, but son, I, I promise you, as long as I'm alive, I will never leave you. I can't promise I'll be alive, but as long as I'm alive, where, where does this commitment come from, this security, this life? How do you carry out the sacrifice that, that leads us into a host of Christian living that fulfills the command to love your neighbor? Very simply, because you serve a God who gave himself for you. Unlike the false gods of the ancient times who only took and never gave, and by the way, it's the same today, we serve a God who came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and gave himself for us. What did we sing? What can strip the seeming beauty of the idols of this earth? Not a sense of right or duty, but a sight of peerless worth. And this is the strong one giving up himself completely for those who are weak and deserve judgment. And this is the power that moves us to self-sacrifice. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. So I ask you, what, what idol must you fight and flee this week? What, where's the Spirit saying to you, this is the battle for you as you go out this week? Confess it. And in fact, identify where, where this idol in your life dishonors God, where perhaps it destroys or damages his world. And then, and then look to Christ, the one who has given himself for you. And, and ask, Lord, what is this new way that you're calling to me? And then by grace, live out that way as you flee idolatry because it dishonors God, because it damages this world. Choose life. Please pray. Father, we are so grateful that you did not leave us, that you did not oppress us when we were not only weak and vulnerable, but deserving judgment and condemnation, but gave yourself for us. And so may we also be a people who not only stand against idolatry and and others in our own lives, but, but living out a new life in Christ that would show to your glory and honor. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.